welcome to the latest episode of the League One Lowdown podcast. It's been quite a while since we've done one, but there's no better way to get back than having a top player to interview. I'm your host, Alex Broom, and I'm delighted to be joined by promotion winner from League One this season, Wickham Wanderers' David Wheeler. David, thank you very much for coming on, and how are you doing today? Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, no, all good, thanks. All good. Have you been on a bit of a high since a playoff final victory a couple of weeks ago? We've got to start there, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it quite quite a strange, surreal thing. I, I actually, I watched it back, the game back for the first time the other day. Um, and it was nice to sort of see it from from the other side and uh, watch all the celebrations afterwards, like from, from the TV. And uh, just, yeah, definitely brought back a lot of good memories. Um to be honest, like I, I was, I was so shattered after the game, and uh, you know, so with all the emotion of it, like in the build-up and stuff like that, was yeah, I, I think I was just so knackered and relieved. But then, you know, the days after following the the final afterwards were, you know, just slowly coming to the the, the realization that it happened. You could have fooled me that you were tired, was it? The 95th minute, you get the ball in the half and I knock it past two players and have a shot on goal. I don't yeah. know where you found that energy from. That was miraculous, really. You'd have been forgiven for being cramping up at that point. Yeah, I was. No, I was. I was. I was sort of gutted that I didn't score that really. Like, um, which is sort of a strange thing to say when we just got promoted. But I was just like, oh, that would have been on a greedy sense. I was like, oh, that would have been. That would have been great. Um, but yeah, I've, I didn't realise really, like because it was all a bit of a blur, that it was literally just pretty much just before the final whistle that that I had that chance. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Was that the end you scored in for Exeter when you played Blackpool? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've got good memories there, and it's, it's quite strange. I'm speaking to you now, but um, ever since that game when Exeter did play Blackpool, I actually um had tickets to that match, but I didn't realise I double booked myself with the Cortinas gig in Manchester. And me, like it down the bit, chose to go to the gig in Manchester, and I gave away the tickets. Um, I think it was um the week. I don't know if you remember. It's the week um after the terrorist attack at the Ariana Grande concert. So I think I gave away the tickets um just for a donation to the um help for heroes or so. So it was a charity related to the terrorist attack. So it's just it's quite strange that we're bringing that up now, and that's the end you scored in. And I had tickets to the game. Just a little bit of a big coincidence, really. But um yeah, yes. Yeah, um. Did the, um, do you think the joy of winning at Wembley with Wickham, did that, did that mean more after losing the final of Exeter, do you think? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. It's uh, I think when you've when you've been there before and lost, like you know exactly, you know, what that feels like. Um, and there's always that nagging thought in the back of your mind that it could happen again. Um, and although like it didn't directly impact on my career at the time, because I, I basically was 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 going to probably move on to to, to QPR anyway, um, but I know you know the the impact that it can make on your career generally in terms of you know what happens in the future because yeah. you know say if we had we had have lost that game you look at the the the, the sort of teams and clubs that are in League One next season. Like who's to say the following season we wouldn't have been in a relegation battle? Um, so I think yeah, like when you when you look at it, have a chance to step back and look at it on like a, a, a bigger bigger scale. It's yeah, it's it, it definitely made it much better for me. And and to do it with a you know the lads, you know in the dressing room that you know everyone gets on so well and everyone sort of looks out looks out for each other. It's it's great. It was, it was a great, great feeling. Yeah, everyone says that's um, a massive part of the culture at Wickham, the dressing room, the team spirit, the sort of the squad that the gaffers assembled. Do you think, and it's, it's quite unique, isn't it, like, with the general situation? I, I spoke to um, JJ about this when he came on. It's sort of like four captains linking um, linking the dressing room to, to Gareth, meaning he has sort of like less responsibility. How much of an impact do you think that actually has on like the performance on the pitch? Oh, huge huge because and I think it's rare for a number of reasons I think it's rare because you you generally it's quite rare to have a manager that's so you know comfortable in themselves and comfortable because I think there's a lot of awful awful lot of paranoia in 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 football management that especially with senior players coming to the end of their career um 
about you know if they start having a shaky patch like um lose a few games like is their senior player then gonna all of a sudden look a, like an interesting prospect for the owners to to make a, as as the new manager um so i think it it definitely takes someone to be very comfortable in their own skin and and very trusting to do that for the for a start for starters um i also think like it's probably rare to have four players that you trust to that degree as well uh in a team um but yeah i think i think it works so well i think it's it's such a great it's such a great idea um and i think i'm sure all the lads would say that our generals that that they they get a lot out of it themselves as well I think um, you strike me as a player as a really like positive attitude and sort of willing to do whatever job the manager asks you. Did that, did that sort of like, help you settle into Wickham then? Did you know you fit right in with a good group of lads who have the similar sort of traits as what you have? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think it's an accident. Like I think um, Dobbo and the Gaffer like do a lot of homework on the sort of characters they bring into the club, and I don't think it's uh, an accident that they've been able to do that because. You know they've been there for seven, seven, eight years now. So if you have that amount of time, which is is another thing that's rare in football to create that culture that you want, it takes it can take years to to you know let go players that don't quite fit that mould that you're after, and 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 find players that are suitable. You know from a playing perspective and from uh, a person perspective. Um, so, yeah, I think that's another thing that you need longevity as well to be able to do that. Yeah, I agree. I think we'll touch back on Wickham later in the pod. But if it's all right, can we just rewind to how you got into football at the start of your career? Um, I read that you're a Southern lad, you're in the Brighton youth team, then ended up going to Lewis. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Lewis was my hometown club. That's where I grew up. Um, and, yeah, I got released from Brighton when I was 16, um, just before like the YTS scholarship age. Um and yeah, I spent I think four or five years at Lewis, like some really good good times. Was there um always football you going into? Because you'd be amazed how many people on Twitter said, "What about your high jumping?" And when we asked the questions, I'm sure it's not the first time you've heard it. Like you got a ridiculously high jump, and you was ever athletics on a thing that could have got you into instead of football? Yeah, well, I did I did athletics till I was eighteen, I think seventeen, eighteen um, for Lewis Athletics Club and. Competed a few times for Sussex County um, in the county championships, um, but I sort of, I think I sort of peaked around fourteen, like with my high jump. Like I think I was something like sixth in the country at one point for my really? high jump. Really? Uh, yeah, and That's then incredible. Uh, and then I just stopped growing, <laughs> and uh, I was, I was like, there was, I remember, I remember one competition where I was whatever I was at that age, five, five, seven, five, eight or something. And there wasn't anyone else that was below six foot. Yeah, uh, so you were a disadvantage just automatically then, aren't you? Compared yeah, to just uh, because obviously, like, it's not about where your head is. It's about getting your whole body over the bar. And it becomes, like, very, very difficult to do that unless, you know, you are really tall. So, so what is your high jump record then? I'm, I can't say I know what the word records in the film, but just interested. Oh yeah, well, um, when I stopped, it was I think one eighty, one eighty something, um, which is yeah, like a bit taller than what I am. So that's yeah, yeah. that's exceptional. Um, so yeah, like, but I I realised both with the high jumping and with the sprinting that I'd got to a point with it that there was just no way that I could progress any further with it. I'd sort of hit, I'd hit my level at sort of flirting with county county you know competitions and there were there was just there were guys there that were just incredible like incredible like so fast so good at high jump so good at, you know there was just, I just wasn't going to touch them so yeah um I loved it but I sort of I always sort of knew that I was going to have more of a chance in football I think well, it's a skill that you can certainly implement into your game of football, something you can use to help your own game on the pitch. How did you um, break into from the Lewis youth team into the first team then? Um, well, they, the Lewis first team basically, when I was sort of 17, I think, they had already been made champions of 
um, conference south. And so I got given a couple of appearances for that team right at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, I'd gone, I'd gone and been on the bench a couple of times, but hadn't come on. And, and then, uh, then yeah, made a couple of appearances at the end. And then pretty much the whole team and the management left because there were sort of financial difficulties at the club. Um, and so that meant that pretty much the whole team was made up of young players uh, from the youth team and, and you know, lads that had, that had just come in for that season. Um, so I managed to get like a decent amount of games in the conference premier that season, even though we got relegated, it was probably a great experience for me at that age. So how old are you at this point? 18, 17? Yeah, I think I was 18, yeah, 18 going on 19. And then had another couple of years in Conference South with Lewis and then left for Staines. Yeah, is it true that um, university studies helped like sort of make your move um, to Staines then? Was it was it not so much a 100% of football, football decision, but was it uni as well which took you there? It wasn't at all a football decision. It was, it was well, I say that, like, I mean, because when the year... So I went to uni um, at Brunel in West London and I stayed at Lewis for another season in my first year and then just couldn't, I couldn't do the commuting anymore. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, it was taking me two and a bit hours to get to training. Um, and on top of studies, it was just crazy. So I just couldn't carry that on. Um, and so, yeah, it was totally, totally a convenience thing really for me. Um, and yeah, it was sort of, yeah, between... Staines, Woking, um, and I think it was Hazen Yedding. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was end up, just ended up being Staines that that wanted to that wanted to sign me. It's quite um, a unique sort of um, model, that isn't it? You don't really get many players sort of juggling up semi-pro football or professional football as well as the university course. I, I think there's um, Matt Kretschmar. I don't know if you heard he used to play for Wickham. I think he's playing for Woking now, and he's um, studying at the same time as well. It's just one I could think of. Did it? I, I'm guessing it sort of helped like your student loans and that getting a bit of money on the side playing football. Then, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. It kind of, uh, yeah, it, it didn't help my social life um, <laughs> having to stay in like when everyone else was going out most of the time. Um, but yeah, definitely, it was. Um, yeah, it was even 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 back then, like in that league, it was still not not a, not bad income. It wasn't. It wasn't obviously you know, an income that you would want for a full-time job, but it was, I was only training Tuesday and Thursday nights. Um, so it wasn't like a huge time commitment. Uh, and so like, yeah, definitely like the extra money was, was helpful. I think um, someone's dubbed you the cleverest man in football before. Was it a sports science degree, which you were doing? Is that, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think that's probably fair on the general football population. To be um, is but, this someone you've yeah. heard before then? Uh, yeah, I've I've heard it mentioned before. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, there are certainly players that are smarter than me. Um, Go on, but, throw me uh, your name. Who's smarter than you, David? Oh no, there'll be no plenty. one you've met, but there are players out there. Yeah, there'll be plenty. Yeah, there'll be plenty. But um, yeah, no, I did sports science at uni because I just I sport was always something that I was interested in that I loved. Like I couldn't really see myself doing anything other than something sport related, um, and this was sort of pre all the pol political stuff that I was then hence got in got involved in and, and enjoyed um so had that have happened beforehand I may have done you know a politics degree or something like that but it was always going to be sport really for me and uh yeah and then like funnily enough I've I end, I've ended up going back to to do a master's degree in sports psychology um at Brunel are you doing that at the moment then yeah, I've done my first year and I've got another year left because I'm doing it part time. How's that going? It's, it sounds difficult. Just the words master sports psychology. Is it as difficult as it sounds? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Like it's sort of juggling, juggling it all. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's difficult, um, but it's really interesting. It's really fascinating because it's not, it's not really particularly sport focused. Um, it obviously has to be because of the title, but it's so it's, you can you can generalize it so much to to everyday life because we you know we we speak about um depression anxiety yeah. addiction and and you know all like social dynamics and it's 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 really really it's fascinating really 
So I saw you tweet last night, actually, that you think um, professional football clubs should implement, uh, was it a physiotherapist or something, directly in for um, mental health. Do you think that's something which would really help players, like not just um, during their careers, but prepare them for like after their careers? Like, you know, the high of being a footballer for so long. And then a lot of players, when they retire, like, mm, what, what, what do I do now? Like, it's, you can sort of get into... I'm not quite sure the phrase used, but a little bit of a depression after playing. Is that something which you think could be a big benefit to a lot of um, individual players? Without a doubt, I think like uh, mental health provision needs to be scaled up for everyone. I think it's it's, it's incredibly like poor provision nationwide. Really, when you when you when you see that you know the one, number one killer of of men under forty five is suicide. Um, like it's pretty, it's pretty staggering, really, how little yeah. mental health provision there is. Like what you know, society wide. Um, but when you add to that, like the volatility of a football career, um, you know, with the amount of pressure that that players generally are on to to perform week in week out. Um, and I I totally appreciate as well that um, you know it could for some people it's sort of like the world's smallest violin because we we do get paid well for what we do. Um, The fact of the matter is, is that, you know, especially in League One and League Two... Doesn't make you any less human. Well, that's the other point, is that, you know, you are, you could be... Sorry for interrupting you there. No, of course, no, it's a great point. Like, you could be a multi-millionaire and and it it wouldn't matter. Like, you'd still have this, you know, you'd still be susceptible to having depression and anxiety. Like, it's just the way, you know, it's just the way it is. Um, so yeah, I, I I personally think you definitely need a, a resident sports psychologist, um, like you have a resident physiotherapist. And the point I was making was that this the Heads Up campaign that um, is affiliated with the the PFA, I think now, and uh, is headed up by uh, the Duke of Cambridge, is like basically making the point that both should be treated equally. And and I think that the only way that you do treat that treat it equally is if you have a resident sports psychologist because you have someone yeah. on hand like day to day, and even if it's just looking at like uh, improving the um, output on the pitch in terms of the the actual specific sport aspect of it in terms of you know staying focused and staying motivated, um, that's surely going to be of huge benefit to the team anyway. So yeah. when you add to that the the day-to-day support if people are depressed or anxious or have an addiction or you know they they've just gone through a bereavement or whatever like this is going to have a, a really positive impact. I think um the example which I um note this most is a player I'm sure you played against before Billy Key. I think he had to retire from football early to concentrate on his mental health issues and as far as I know I think that's helped him out. So it's it's come back to the point you made first of all that um, because it's a well paid job people tend to give you a bit of less sympathy. I think it shows with um, Billy. I don't I don't know him personally or whatnot, but the fact he's actually gone to re- retirement to stop playing football and he's feeling better for it. I think that just rubbishes that theory whatsoever. Just because you've got a well paid job, you you have to be happy if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think you you also another another aspect of it which I hadn't really it didn't really occur to me until just now was the the fact that you know a lot of people have very high pressure jobs um but not many people have thousands of people commenting every week on how well they're performing mm-hmm. including national newspapers yeah um and and giving you a rating score out of 10 about how you're performing every week yeah uh, um and you're not also having being basically promoted or demoted on a on a weekly basis into into the starting 11 or out of the starting 11 um so and also like you know you're you, you've got sort of two-year contracts generally so especially like sort of league one league two level you've generally got short contracts yeah um so yeah like again like, i don't want to sort of overstress you know there are pos- there are a lot of very positive things about being a professional footballer of course there are like monetarily and and you know physically uh, your health but yeah there are undeniably 
higher pressures in in the profession than there there are in most other careers. Yes, definitely a very good point. I hadn't really thought of it like that either until you just said it. And it's so much I can imagine, which when the the pressure from so many people looking on you is so demanding as well. I can imagine it definitely takes its toll on um definitely on a few players. But anyway, moving on to your um time at Exeter, you obviously joined in 2013, which is probably the spell which you'll most widely remember doing with me anyway. Before you came to Wickham, as your time at Exeter. Was, how did that move come about? Was it, of course, Tisdale signed you? He was there for so long. Was did you did you know him before? Did you go down for a trial? How did you get into the Exeter? It was it was just a chance. It's a real chance thing, really. It was um, I played against a guy um, for a few years for he played for Bath City, and he played for Wickham and Exeter previously. Actually, who's this? Um, Joe Burnell. Oh. Um, and uh, a central midfielder, and he um, he played for Bristol City for years as well. And he just he played against me a few times and just said, "Oh, I think you can play higher. Like you interested?" Like, and I and I said, "Oh, I'm finishing my degree this year. Yeah, I'm, I'd, I'd be keen to go on, you know, a trial or whatever." And uh, so he set me up with a trial at Exeter, and it, that was it really. And I I was on trial for I think basically the whole of pre-season and uh, signed a few days before the first game of the season and then started started the first game of the season against Bristol Rovers. Uh, how was your time at Exeter then? See, it looked from the outside you had a, had a really good time there. Definitely, yeah. It was it was probably the perfect place for me to go, to be honest, because you, you had Paul Tisdale and Steve Perryman were generally like the guiding... Um, influences on on my time there, and you look at Steve Steve Perryman's playing career well, and management as well, but mainly playing stats and career and his experiences are just just incredible amount of knowledge of uh, you know being a being a footballer at the highest level, um, and then Paul Tisdale, who was sort of had very. I think unique ways of looking at things um, in terms of the general football world, and 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 it was a very um, nurturing environment to be in. They very much believed in they the bringing the youth through. Um, they very much believed in um, improving everyone, even if you were sort of thirty five, um, still room for improvement. So. I think it, it couldn't really have been a, a better environment for me like to go into. Yeah, the first thing I think of actually when I think of Exeter is um the success they've had with their youth academy, like the likes of Liam Serka, Mifan Ampadu, Ollie Watkins, Jordan Moore Taylor, Jamie Reed, Tom Nichols. You've got a lot of players there who've gone on to like bigger and better things next to them, no disrespect to them. What is it about their academy which you think makes them so successful? I think that a large part of it is the model of how the club was set up, I think, I can't remember exactly the date, but maybe like 2007 or something like that, when they basically nearly went under and they had to completely re redesign and reform the club. I think um, very much driven by the fans, but I think also um, Tiz and Steve were very much keen on the idea and I think they invested a hell of a lot of time in 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 the youth system and and the club itself invested invested a hell of a lot of like resources and time into into nurturing the young players and and giving them an opportunity as much as they could in the first team without you know diminishing the results um so yeah it was very much like if you look at sort of the Brentford model where they sign you know they yeah. pay decent money for young prospects but then sell to sell them on again um there it was very much about okay we'll play the long game and we'll 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 you know invest in our youth and and give them the time and the opportunity and then and then that's when we'll make our money like later later down the line so it's, it's like a long-term plan then and then yeah men- mentioning oh sorry go on no, no, yeah, it's just yeah. It's like a, that's their plan for sustainability long term, I think, because they didn't want to get into a situation like they were in before I went to the club, where you know they they're sort of financially unstable and and, and exposed. 
I think, um, as you just mentioned, Brentford, we've got to touch Noddy Watkins quickly. How was he like to play with? Like, he looks, obviously now in the Championship, he's an unbelievable talent. What was it like to be in the same attack as him? Oh, it was great, yeah. Like, it is sort of, um, a lot of players will say in their careers that there was sometimes they played with players where they, you know, they, when you were absolutely out on your feet and you were knackered, you could always just give him the ball and be like, go on, Ollie, do the business. Like, just like... <laughs> And just watch him, watch him go, because it was, uh, yeah, he did it, like he was so obviously had that talent. He had everything, like he had, he had, you know, his power, pace, um, skill, had a trick. You know, he he could do anything really. And uh, yeah, it was just great to, to 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 be playing with him that season because, you know, you just bounce off each other, and he'd take he'd, he'd attract you know two or three players and leave leave players like me open to to get goals which is which is great would you say he's the best player you played with in your career very difficult really very difficult i think definitely definitely one of i think there are there are other there are other players i've played with just like incredibly talented that you know in their heyday would have been like you know even like a lot better than what they were when i when i played with them the sort of people like matt oakley um Ryan Harley, Tommy Doherty. Um, Tommy Docks played for Wickham as well, didn't he, for a bit? Yeah, it's one of my one of uh, my favourite players in my first season supporting us. Yeah, David Noble, uh, Ryan Harley. They just like you know these players were just incredible skill that at their absolute height were were very very good. Um, Clinton Morrison, one of those. Clinton, like I think, was someone who similar to myself probably like had a lot of good sort of natural physical attributes like mm-hmm. and i think like clinton was basically at right at the end of his career when yeah came. so i think like, i never i never was lucky enough to see the best of of clinton and he like he would probably say the same um because i think in his prime he was just unstoppable um so yeah, um, but I I tend to admire players that can do things on the pitch that I just couldn't conceive of doing, and I think that some of those players I mentioned were were up there. Yeah. And I think, to be honest, um, Abire is at um, QPR who who was at Wickham for a little yeah. bit. Like he's one of those where you just think like, there's just no way I could do that. Like you yeah, that I can imagine. You can just like sit back in awe of 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 the talent. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, hopefully yeah he goes on and 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 shows what he can do in the Premier League as well. Yeah, it looks like he's um on the verge of getting a move to the Premier League this summer. Where he goes, I think still a bit in the air. But I'll be amazed, especially in twelve months' time, he won't be a Premier League player and it'll be for big money as well, which I think's good reward for QPR for similarly to with Exeter investing a lot of time into the youngsters and getting the best out of him. I think he deserved the the high transfer fees. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think. I think he's he's got everything. Like it's just it's just a case of I just hope that wherever he goes, he plays. Like because there's there's, there's nothing worse really than having that dream and then it just sort of drifting away. I think once once you get to a club like say if he goes to like a, a Spurs or whatever, like to not then play is will be quite quite a shame. I think for someone that talented. Yeah, it's almost as if he's got um too much talent to waste, isn't it? Um, to keeping back in your on um, that season, extra the sixteen seventeen season, the playoff final season, it was quite a slow start that season for you, wasn't it? What what, what do you think that was down to? Um, I think multiple things. I think uh, we definitely we had some injuries. We had some players out at the start of the season, um, and yeah, I think it's just it just works out that way sometimes. Like you have peaks and troughs. It was like our our season this season where we were looking unstoppable for the first few months and then over the Christmas period we, we couldn't win a game. Um so I think it just it just it just happened that way. Um and then as soon as it clicked it just we just we just went and we just we won so many games in a row. Um went from second bottom to fourth I think it was in the end. Fourth, fifth. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, trekking down from Derby on a Tuesday night to the game where your Exeter played Wickham. You won four. So I think you scored the opener that night, actually, which um, I don't know if you remember that. Um, yeah. do, do you remember that of interest? Do you remember, do you remember the yeah. goal? 
Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. and um, I remember thinking on the drive back, which is it's almost a five-hour drive, thinking, God, they're a good team. I'd be surprised if they don't go up. And then, for whatever reason, um, I guess mainly down to the slow start, I, I felt like perhaps maybe this might not be the best phrase to describe it, but the team didn't do as well as it could have done that season. Like for me, after watching that game, I left thinking, well, they're an automatic promotion team. And if it wasn't for that slow start then perhaps you would have finished above the likes of like Luton, Doncaster, Portsmouth and Plymouth with the teams above you. Was it, was it, did you feel like in the camp it was disappointing to not get that promotion? Definitely, definitely. We were definitely capable of it. It was uh, like if you look at the team, like, um, you know, Ruben, Ruben Reid, I think. It was me, Ruben Reid and uh, Ollie Watkins up on the front three. And Ruben Reid had a proven goal scoring record at that level. I think he'd scored 15 goals that season as well, which sort of went under the radar because um, Ollie scored 16, 17 and I scored 21, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, behind us, we had like really good, really good players as well. Like, you know, Ryan, Ryan Harley, for example, and and it was just it was just a really really good team um and it was it was it was really it was it was a shame um, and we also had jack stacy who ended up going on to play for get promoted with luton twice and play for in the premier league yeah. for bournemouth yeah. so we had, we had a really good team um but yeah i'm sure there's there's the, you know history of football's littered with with teams that didn't quite get over the line when maybe they maybe they should have done just to touch on what you said earlier you sort of felt that you said after the game at Wembley you sort of knew you were going to move like I I thought your move I, I, I thought your move to QPR sort of came like towards the start of the following season did you not start the next season at Exeter yeah yeah no that's 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 true um but I think because there'd been so much speculation for like probably sort of January time onwards about, um, you know, whether I was going to sign, you know, whether I was going to move on or not. Like it got to the point where I'd scored 20 goals, like 19, 20 goals. And it was just like, it, it, it was basically, you know, with, with discussions with my, with my agents, it was basically a situation where it was, they were saying it was a matter of time. It wasn't like it wasn't going to happen. Um, so yeah I think I sort of knew especially after scoring the the, like the goal in the final as well I sort of knew that it was probably gonna be one of my last games for Exeter Um, but yeah like you just never know it could have fallen through Um, and it, it ended up taking the whole transfer window for it to for it to finalize I think it was like, do you think it was important that you had to move? Because you're at quite a good age. I think you're 26 then, which is like really getting to the prime of your career. Uh, do you think, not necessarily if it wasn't that window, it wouldn't be any window, but do you think you sort of like had to take the jump at, at that time in your career if you were going to ever do it? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I think it's, football is all about timing uh, and circumstances. And I think um, for a winger scoring 20 goals in a season, I think. Like unless unless you're a world beater, it's gonna it's gonna be rare that that's gonna happen like on a regular basis. And I didn't, mm-hmm. I personally didn't want to take that chance that it wouldn't happen again. So I was, I think you you need to recognise as a player sometimes when to sort of cash your chips in. Um, and that was definitely the moment for me. As much as I loved everything about being at Exeter I love the club the lads there were great similar dressing room to to Wickham um and I didn't you know I wasn't in any way unhappy about being there but I sort of recognized that I didn't want to be in a situation when I was 35 and be thinking what if yeah no I get, I get you completely was it always QPR then or with any other clubs after you uh, yeah, there was there was there was a couple of other clubs, um, but QPR was definitely the front runner for the majority of the time. I think, um, yeah, I think I think at one point um, Bolton was a possibility, and I think uh, Hearts Hearts were a possibility at one point. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think it was generally generally going to be QPR. Why do you think it didn't go as well as QPR as what I guess you would have liked it to go for you? Um, 
Difficult, really. Like, I mean, I, I sustained, I, I ended up having to have an operation on my ankle in, in the new year, on my first year. Yeah. Um, which, which obviously was, and then the manager uh, moved on that brought me in. Um, and then went, yeah and then we we had a new manager um and so and with a completely different philosophy um and so but i think in in the short periods where i was sort of eligible to play which was probably yeah from september to december i think the difficulty was is that i was probably the least experienced at that level um out of most of the players there um mm-hmm. and the competition places were tough because you had a lot of players that had played in the premier league and spent most of their career in the championship and i was like relatively unproven um and i think for a lot of my time there the manager was under pressure because we were sort of in and around the relegation zone for a lot of the time and i think that the, the team was chopping and changing a fair bit um but I think in that in that time you you tend to like pick the players that you think are the most reliable or the safest bet. And I was probably I was probably a bit of a gamble, I'd say. So yeah, it was always going to be difficult for me. I think in that scenario. Did you um always know the following season you'd be going out on loan to was it Portsmouth? I think was it was it Steve McLaren the manager then or was it Holloway? Yeah, Steve McLaren, because yeah, Holloway left at the end of that season, that first year, and then Steve McLaren came in and had the preseason with Steve McLaren, and it became fairly apparent that I wasn't going to be like a starter, and I probably wasn't going to get too many minutes, and I'd gone like a year without playing really, so yeah. I was anxious that I wanted, I just wanted to play football. Yeah. Uh, um, so that's how the, the the Portsmouth loan came about. I remember um, seeing Portsmouth sign you, and it was, it, I think it was your. The, they usually do spend big ports. When they signed you, I thought, crikey, they're going to be really up there next season. But I guess, again, for you, competition with Ronan Curtis and Jamal Lowe, like you've got two of the best wingers. You'd be, I'd even stay in the championship playing in League One. Like, it must have been really difficult for you to sort of get a place in the team ahead of those two. Yeah, definitely. I mean, t- to be honest, when I went there, I think Ronan was pretty much. Uh like an unknown quantity, like he was, pre- he was unproven. He'd only really played in the Irish leagues. Um, and so I think it was, I think it was almost a case that, um, you know, they, like, when I'd spoke to Kenny Jacket, it was like, oh, we've got this talented lad from Ireland, but we don't know how it's going to go sort of thing. Um, and he just took to it like a duck to water and, and was, yeah. brilliant, was brilliant that season. And, and, and Jamal was, arguably one of the best players in the league that season um so and they they just they didn't get injured so like and they were top of the league for pretty much the entire time I was there so very very again like just like I said before football so much about timing and circumstances and it could have been the case that that Ronan didn't turn out to be the player that he was uh, or is sorry and yeah. uh, and I would have played regularly for Portsmouth and things might have gone differently. So how frustrating was that for you on a personal basis? And as you said, it's nearly up to 18 months now without really having a full crack at first team football. Yeah, totally. Like very frustrating. And I think it definitely took a big toll on my confidence as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it was a scenario where I was just, I was just getting a bit desperate to play because I, I hadn't played for sort of like you say 18 months and it was it was getting to the situation where I think I I got uh I got injured at Pompey like maybe sort of October November time um and I just I just remember thinking like oh like is it really worth is it all worth it uh, because I just wasn't well, what do you mean is it all worth it do you mean like being a well- yeah, just like, I was just thinking, like, I've, I, I've, you know, I, I can do other things. I like, am I really enjoying it? Like, is it, is it really? As in football as a whole. Yeah, like, is it oh, really? Wow. Is it really what I want to do anymore? Um, and yeah, it was, it was just a sort of case of speaking to a couple of people that were close to me in, in, in the game, 
and just saying like, oh what do you think and and it was the general consensus was i oh, just hang on it or times will change like you know like the whole conversation with how things go in a season with any team it's peaks and troughs a lot of the time and yeah there's just sort of there's great advice just saying like a lot about having a successful football career is just the stickability like just being resolute and just carrying on um and so I just sort of yeah I just hung on at, at Pompey and and like it was nice to end at Pompey and the note that I did scoring the winner in the quarterfinal of the checker trade against Peterborough um and I just yeah and then I, I obviously moved on again after that so when you joined um, MK Dons on loan, was that a case of you knew what you're going to get with Paul Tisdale? Like you knew you were going to play. It's a good chance to revise your confidence. You're going into a promotion push. Was it pretty much exactly as it looks like from the outside? Exactly, yeah, exactly. It was, it, I had I had basically, I had two options. It was, well, three options if you can't stay in Pompey, but um, that, you know, was, wasn't going to necessarily guarantee me game time. Um and I had, I had the option of going to MK Dons or or Lincoln uh, with Danny Cowley, um, and the situation really for me is that I I tend to value my my home life, my relationships like very very highly as much you know as yeah. much as anything else. So I didn't want to be living away from. Well, it was my my partner at the time but like we were going to get married a few months after that decision and I didn't want to be living away from her for like three or four months before we were going to get married um so it was definitely a personal social decision as much as anything but from a career perspective like you say I knew Tiz very well he knew me very well his whole coaching staff was there as well who knew my game inside out um there were a few lads that I played with Exeter who were there um, and it was commutable from home. So yeah. just like all the ducks were in the row, like, and it just, it just made sense. And I, you know, I'd be playing in a league that I'd already, I'd been successful with in not, in not too long ago. So that was the other factor as well. Yeah. It seemed like Tisdale was signing half of the extra team for MK Dons when he first, um, went there what was your relationship with, with him like personally then it sounds pretty good yeah definitely like you know it was very it was always you know respectful from from the word go and uh you know as a the longer time i spent there like it become um you know very like very sort of good relationship like he respected what i what i did on the pitch and how i conducted myself and and i, I respected him with how how he was with the players and the staff um, and his knowledge of the game. So, yeah, it was really good. And and obviously going there again, like, you know, and, and playing for him again was was it was definitely the right decision for me at the time. How good of a feeling was it to score that goal against Mansfield to send him up? Oh, yeah. It's just to, to go from sort of probably six months previous thinking that, I'm, you know, considering potentially retiring, like, to to scoring the winner to get promoted was just yeah what a contrast and uh yeah it was it was perfect for me like it just sort of gave me that belief that i it was the right decision to stay in the game and and to 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 do to go where i went um yeah perfect really one more thing on MK Dons before we move on. Of course, Russell Martin's a manager now, and I believe he was um player with you when you were there. What, what what did you think about him? Did you always see management potential in him? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, he was only I think thirty three when I when I was when I was there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like uh, he's so such an intelligent footballer, and and obviously he's smarter has, than you. Yeah, I'd say so. But yeah, so, <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a successful footballing career, um, and I think he was. I got the very much got the impression he was very content with his achievements in the game, um, and I knew that he was very passionate and very sort of driven to be a, a manager. 
Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I knew it was going to be like relatively seamless for him to to become a manager. It looks like he's got his team playing as you saw when we played them earlier at, um, at Stadium MK. They played quite good football. They seem quite good at what they do. It seems like he could really be building something there. So I think that he's going to be a definitely a manager who goes quite far in the game. Do you, would you agree? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I think having Luke Williams there has probably made quite a big difference as well. Like great, great coach. Um, and yeah, he's he's the sort of guy that's going to surround himself with good people as well. Like it's you know sort of similar to 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 Gareth and and, and Tiz, I suppose. Generally, is that he's he very much cares about the character as much as the footballer. So um, I think yeah, he's there's every chance he'll he'll progress and and I think he's also he's also very very smart in how he presents himself um and I think he's he's certainly an attractive prospect for you know championship clubs Premier League clubs in the future for sure yeah I'm not going to fuel any speculation but perhaps as Daniel Farker leaves Norwich soon he could be sort of like the easy option to go for being a Norwich legend perhaps I'm not sure really what Norwich what Norwich would say of that but yeah you know, I think I, that's something I could see happening yeah I think it's definitely tempting when you see you know people like Frank Lampard doing so well at, at the very top like so soon uh, yeah and obviously you know Gerard doing doing a fairly decent job at Rangers and mm-hmm. uh, um yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's probably going to be very tempting at some point for Norwich. I think I think Russ probably s- still needs to have a decent amount of time and be successful at another club before that. Um, but I don't see any reason why, if he got given the manager's job at, at Norwich, that it wouldn't go well. So back back to yourself then. When your um, low mover MK Dons ended, I, am I right in thinking you had a, a year still left on your contract at QPR? Yeah. So was was it a case of um, before Wickham signed you? Um, was it a case of the fact that did they pay you up? Were you just allowed to leave? Like how how did you come about to go to Wickham? Yeah, or like like anything, it's sort of um, it's it's a negotiation, and and I again QPR got a, a different manager again for that season, um, and I think they they wanted by and large to to play young players and to play again in like a very they wanted to keep the ball on the deck and they wanted to to um, control possession and they they felt that other players were more suited to that style than me so um yeah like it was a conversation like very frank conversation with mark warburton who i think is like you know um to his credit sort of we had a very frank conversation about it and said that you know probably my minutes would be limited so and at my age I wanted to I wanted to play um so yeah we just had that and then we just you know it it was up to my agents to to see you know where I could where I could sign from then on yeah I was gonna say there's absolutely no way Wickham with any club interested in you I think um Gillingham Steve Evans said he was um what he was interested in speaking to you I'm guessing MK Dons were they were they wanting you back yeah, I think I think there was a few clubs. Um, there was a few clubs interested, but um, it's it's funny how it's similar to how I ended up at Exeter. That it's usually like the human element of it that that persuades me to make certain decisions. Um, and it was just a chance meeting with uh, Matt Bloomfield at um, a friend's wedding. Uh, I ended up being on the same table at a friend's wedding at, as as Bloom's. And uh, we just just were chatting about football generally and playing against each other over the years and stuff. And uh, he, I think he just said, like, is there any chance that you'd consider kind of coming to Wickham? And then, like, yeah, we were just sort of, like, laughing and joking. And I said, why not? Like, you know, maybe. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then it just happened. Like, a few weeks later, we went for a coffee and then he sort of sold sold the club to me, really, like, it was as simple as that, and yeah, when I signed, I just I was just like when we were sort of tipped to go down. I I looked at the players that were there, and I was just like, I can't see it. Like the, I'd played against these guys like for years, and I was just like, I just can't, I don't understand why we tipped to go down. <laughs> and then obviously, like yeah, well, Fred, you saw um... Fred might have signed 
either the same day as me or the day before. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, I was just like, there's no chance we're going down. Yeah, as I say, you saw my reaction when you sat on Richard's live. I was overwhelmed <laughs> with excitement. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was, that was I, a, good, I, I, a good I, prophecy, that was. Yeah, it just seemed that... Um, Obviously, knowing you from Lincoln, or not Lincoln, sorry, from Exeter, knowing you have been in the championship, it just seemed you the sort of player which was like out, sort of like out of our range, like just, just a bit, bit even. I'm quite an ambitious fan. That just seemed to be too ambitious for, for, for um, even my thinking. But I guess that sort of shows like the work the Coigs are putting and the investment to be able to attract names such as yourself, Fred, Jack Grimmer. Like, it, it's massive, and it's, it's a massive part of um, the success last season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's very, that's really flattering. But I think, yeah, it was. I think there's, especially now, especially sort of, sort of in COVID times. Like, I think it's definitely a club's market at the minute. There's going to be so many very good players that are on a free, um, who are desperate to to get a club and probably settle for less wages than what they would normally. So yeah. Um, and you know, I think that's always going to be the case. And I think Wickham have operated that way for a few years now, um, along with obviously like having getting the right characters in. I think it's always been about well, we don't necessarily need to fork out loads of money because there'll be there'll be some players around that would fit the mould, like without having to pay the money. So, have there been any talk? You don't have to mention any names, but has, has the gaffer said to any of the lads about any potential incomings in this window? Obviously, I don't want you to mention names in case anyone's listened to this. But is the, is the players he's looking at continuing to fit this mould? Oh yeah, without doubt, without doubt. Yeah, they they wouldn't sign. I don't think they would would sign anyone that they thought might sort of rock the boat. Uh, yeah. Certainly, from a character point of view, it's 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 going to be pretty much the same goes. I think which I think is, is good for the club long-term anyway. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think there's, if, if there's people known to, to the gaffer and to Dobbo already, um, then I think they'll, they'll look to do that. But, um, but yeah, I don't think they're going to rush into signing anyone that they don't, they're not sure about as a, as a person. As you said, um, just now, you said you couldn't see Wickham being, um, relegation contenders like how much like gareth said he's been quite vocal saying he put the 442 prediction of wickham finishing 23rd in his office and using that for motivation like did when when you see that does that does that actually drive you on to do better than what you um but does that drive you as a squad on to do better than that prediction do you think i mean there's like i, I don't know if you've watched the documentary um the last dance about the no, sorry about the Chicago Bulls well it was like very apparent throughout it that Michael Jordan as much as being the best probably the best basketball player of all time like he had this incredible ability of taking certain things and turning them into serious motivation for him to succeed Uh, and like the whole season was scattered with those things like starting from being relegation favourites and being written off by everyone to then, you know, being told that, you know, you're going to bottle it at some point or, you know, being, being told that you, you, you play awful football or, you know, how are you up there? You're the elephant in the tree sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have no idea how it got up there, but it's going to fall at some point. Yeah. I think that's a ridiculous phrase just for the record. Yeah. And, uh, and it was always like, Oh, you're lucky this, you're lucky that. And, uh, you know, you, you, you sort of master of the dark arts sort of thing. And it was the whole way through it. Um, you know, even coming down to the playoffs where you had, you know, after the, the we beaten Fleetwood, um, even then, like, you know, he was praised for how humble he was, Joe Barton in his, in his speech after the, after the game, but he managed to slip in that uh, nine out of 10 times you beat, you beat Wickham. Yeah, and yet we played them four times and lost once. Did you take it in that way? I took that the way I took that quote was that he meant the performance he gave the Fleetwood gave in the second leg on on the Monday. That if you play that game nine times out of ten, Fleetwood win. That's the way I took it. Did you did you take his side differently then? Even so, like even so, it's it's just like well, 
you know, it's not like it was a surprise to us that they were going to have a lot of possession. Exactly. Yeah. Like so, it's just. But it, it was. It was. It was a common thread like throughout the whole season that it was either being written off or disrespected for the way we played or you know told we were gonna we were gonna bottle it or x y and z and it was uh you constantly could take like it, we didn't need to like there was a another a thing in the last dance this documentary where there was a a theory that or i think he might have even um corroborated it that michael jordan had made up that one of the opposition players said something to him and then used that as motivation to beat him yeah and like but we didn't need to make anything up because we kept getting the ammunition yeah. all the way through the season because loads of clubs loads of fans loads of uh players we just kept giving us the ammunition like they just kept giving us the motivation to to succeed I'm gonna to have to watch this documentary now, aren't I? Sounds um sounds a very good watch. Yeah. Do you think um like we're definitely gonna there's no doubt in my mind we're gonna upset a few of the big boys next season and get um, results against clubs who perhaps on paper there should be no contest between the two sides. Do you think that sort of thing's gonna continue in the championship then? Like just fans sort of like writing Wickham off right from the go? hundred percent. I think it's I think it's more justified this coming season. Like when you look at the absolute chasm of difference between the wages and the amount of money available um, yeah. the gulf in um experience at that level like in the squads like I, there's only two what well, i don't know like three or four of the lads in this season squad that have played higher than league one yeah i think it, i saw some of which fred's got 43 appearances in the championship Jack Grimm has got seven or nine, and then everyone else is like just floating about with just a handful, and that's only like four players. So it's just, it it, it just shows that when you've got teams like Bournemouth as well, going to sell Nathan Ake potentially 40 odd million quid. Like another thing I saw, that's more than Wickham has spent in wages in their history since promotion to the AFL in 1993. That's, I think that just shows a massive contrast, as you're saying, between where we are and where the other clubs we're competing are, are going to be. Yeah, and it's it's pretty inescapable as well if you look at the the correlation between where a team where teams finish at the, the ta- how the table ends up at the end of the season and compared to the the funds that they have at their disposal, like you you don't separate them very much. There's pretty much like the best indicator of how the table is going to finish. Yeah, um, and obviously this season we massively bucked the trend, um, and yeah, the elephant's still in the tree. Um, <laughs> But it's it's going to be even more, and I think it's going to be an even bigger achievement to stay up next season than get promoted this season. How are you feeling about our chances then? I think it'll be very tough, like very very tough. Like every game will be an absolute cup final for us, um, and we're just going to have to fight two for now for every point we get. I think. Um, so obviously. You know, you like to think that you're going to do better than a relegation battle, but you know, we've got to be realistic and say that that's probably what we we're going to be up against. It's probably not the ideal way to do it, but there's um, whispers of a couple of points deductions coming in for some of the bigger clubs as well, which could end up benefiting teams such as like Wickham and Lewis, the smaller teams in the league. Like, uh, it's it's. It, I mean, you're going to take whatever you can take, but it'd be much better to stay up on own merit rather than put sort of poor runnings of other clubs. Do you think? But even so, like you look at Wigan, they were they were one result away from staying up, even with that points deduction. Yeah. So, you know, if you if you're deducting Derby twelve points, there's every chance that they're still going to stay up. Yeah, it's true. Right? It's true. So. So yeah, obviously, like on the one hand, that is that does help our cause for sure, um, and I think it, it, there's if ever there's going to be a chance of it happening to two or three clubs, it's going to be next season, um, just because of COVID. So um, that is a factor, and the longer you can stay in there, the, the the better chance you have of sticking it out in the long term. Okay, so what do you think's next for you after football, then, David? Like you, you've got a lot, lot of um, you've got a lot of qualifications to your name. Um, yeah, I honestly don't know. I I think there's like a few different things that I'm interested in doing. Um, 
definitely in- obviously interested in using my degrees at last. <laughs> um, so going down the sports psychology route, I think would be would be definitely of interest. Um, and hopefully. You're, you entertain the idea of um, clubs employing sports psychologists. Would you perhaps like to be one of the first ones employed then? Is that something you'd like? Um, I don't care if I'm one of the first employed. Like, I think it's uh, it's something that's definitely needed before I qualify because I'm still, yeah. still going to have a few years after I get my master's where I need uh, other qualifications and, and other experience under my belt of actually practising as a sports psychologist. So... I hope, I hope it happens before then, but I think I'm probably in a relatively unique position where I'll have had a, a career as a football, you know, professional footballer, and so potentially a lot more palatable to to managers and owners who perhaps sceptical that a sports psychologists wouldn't really understand the football world. Yeah, you see um, quite a few agents, don't you, who um, used to be professional and then they sort of go to the be an agent. I think Paul Hayes, Leon Johnson, a couple who used to be professional footballers and now agents. Like That's something which you sort of see both sides of the bridge, don't you? Like if you go into sports psychology, like you've been in the player's shoes and you've got the studies and knowledge, the qualifications to do it as well. It's definitely be a massive advantage for you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's definitely one of the big things that I'm interested in doing. Um uh, I think you know potentially something to do with 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 charity work at some point as well. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm honestly, it's going to be it's going to be difficult to know. I think until I get to that point, I think oh, I haven't ruled out management at some point either. Football management. So yeah, we'll just we'll just see. Like I, I'm hoping to play for a good few years yet, and I think if I if I look after myself you know in the next few years i'll, I'll be hopefully doing a, a a matt bloomfield and a and a and a bayo akin femoir and, and going till i'm 36 38 yeah well it's a, it's a short career so you've definitely got to make the most of it for as, as long as you can that's that's the way i look at it and yeah and you've got the legs like that um as we saw like the last minute at wembley and then late on against Ipswich, just getting the ball running, taking past a few players, winning the penalty at switch, getting a shot off at Wembley, just two things that spring to mind. I, I was thinking where on earth you got the energy from, so it looks like your legs are in quite a good stead for you. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's it's taken me a while to to fully work it out and understand how to look after my body properly, I think. Um, I think players probably go their whole career and don't really suss it out, and I think I'm just starting to now. Um and so, yeah, I hope I hope I can I can look after myself sufficiently and and be eligible to play for a good few years. Do you think um, that helps your role at Wickham then? Because it's quite clear that off the ball you're tracking back a lot, putting a, putting shifts in. I think um, JJ said that we've got players here willing to run back fifty yards and put a tackle in. The four the forwards are willing to run back fifty yards and put a tackle, and that makes Wickham who we are. Do you think the way you're looking after your body really sort of helps suit you to the role you've got at Wickham? Definitely, I I I love that um, you know I, I I do that and I I think that um, that's part of the mutual respect we have within within the team is that right, you know if Jack falls over I'm going to run and cover him like and, yeah. and 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 you know if I if I did someone else would cover me like Gapey would be across covering me so yeah I think. Yeah, it's one. It's one of those where we don't sort of turn on each other. We're we're constantly looking out and trying to put out fires for each other. It's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? You sort of run through brick walls for each other. But Ainsworth really does instill that mentality in the team, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think I think that's that's because of the the, the person that he is and and how he how he treats all the players. You know, whether you're starting or not, um, and you know the ethos that he has is is makes you feel. Like you want to, you want to behave in the same way. So, what, what what's his secret then? Do you think that the generals are quite a quite a big part of it? But how does he like keep the squad so happy even when players aren't playing? Because that's definitely a difficult thing to do. Oh, for sure, for sure. But I think um, because he always he always he never shies away from having the conversation um, and saying, "Look, this is you're not playing. This is why you're not playing. I think so and so is doing this." better than you at the moment but if you show me this in training and in you know other games then you know I'll pick you sort of thing so it's, it's very sort of a lot of not a lot of managers 
are like that they they tend to tend to shy away from those conversations because they are they are tough conversations to have and managers some managers can be um susceptible to telling you what you want to hear rather than what the, the truth is um and i think he gets a lot of respect for that and i think because of like the characters that are in the dressing room and there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of jealousy and animosity like people like each other and, and they want to see each other do well and and obviously that can be frustrating at times for players that aren't playing but they know that if they if they behave in the right way and they they're training hard then then they'll get their opportunity i'd love to sit and chat with you all evening but yeah. I'm, there's there's football to be watched on i don't, don't want to keep you too long so i can just say thank you very much for coming on and i really appreciate the insight you've given it's been excellent i've really enjoyed it Oh, no, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being invited. And yeah, we'll chat another time probably.